Um, so I will call to order the Peace River Town Council regular meeting for Tuesday, April the 4th, 14th, 2020. And let the record show that we started at 12 minutes after five. Uh, counselors should have an agenda in front of them. And I will ask uh, Mr. Parker if there's any additions to the agenda. Uh, there are none, Your Worship. Any deletions? Uh, there are none, Your Worship. Uh, very good. If I could have a motion to uh, adopt the agenda as presented. Mr. Good, all in favor of that motion? I see enough hands raised to uh, to pass the uh, to pass that motion. Sir, board. Sorry. Um, uh, that will take us to the minutes of the March 23rd, 2020 regular council meeting. Uh, are there any additions, corrections, deletions, et cetera, et cetera, required to those minutes? Your Worship, I can move the, uh, the minutes of March 23rd as presented. Very good. All in favor? In favor. Okay, it's passed. Are there any public hearings to be had, Mr. Parker? There are none, Your Worship. Any presentations? Uh, there are none. That takes us to bylaws. Uh, we're looking for a request on the 20, 20 bylaw, utility rate bylaw 2069. Uh, who is leading the discussion on that? I could do that, Your Worship. Okay, very good. If you just bear with me while I get to that screen. There we go. Um, so before council this evening is a, a bylaw, bylaw 2069 to update the water and sewer rates as per the 2020 budget. During those deliberations, um, council had incorporated administration's recommendation that the current water and sewer rates be increased um, by 68 cents from $5.40 to $6.08 per cubic meter. Uh, this increase is required to uh, fully fund the water fund and water fund activities, um, which includes some um, operation maintenance pressures, plus a significant um, uh, capital upgrade to Reservoir 365 for this year that needs to be funded also. These changes would also affect other users of the, the water system, um, users outside of town boundaries, uh, which include Shaftesbury Water Co-op and the water line out to Dixonville. Uh, the rates are shown within, within the bylaw and they are experiencing similar percentage rate increases than uh, as town residents. So again, the same percentage type increase. Um, also, staff reviewed the bylaw and are recommending some other changes or items within Schedule B, um, which are tampering with bypassing or rendering water meter inaccurate. Uh, staff are recommending a $500 charge up from $250, um, tampering with the activation or an unauthorized activation of water or sewer services, and that's similar, $500 up from $250 and then tampering with or unauthorized use of a fire hydrant. And that's a recommended increase of $500 
to $1,000 from 500. So the staff recommendation is to provide first, second and third reading to bylaw 2069 to allow for the changes to take effect um, for the next utility bill in, in, in mid-May. Okay, uh, any questions of Mr. Town? Mr. Good? Um, Greg, what, what would, if I, I know it's probably hard to come up with an average number, but what would be the average amount of a residential water bill in Peace River? Um, the average amount, and we'll say the average is approximately 14 or 15, well, that, that's a bit high. Um, at 14 cubic meters per month, um, we're looking at about 70 to $72 seems to be the average, give or take. Okay, so a 12% increase is about, can my math bad, 10% increase, seven, $750? Um, yep, pretty close. Yeah. I guess from my uh, perspective, Your Worship, we, we did talk about this during our budget cycle. We know we've got some capital projects underway. We know we've shifted to a user pay system. Uh, if you produce garbage or you use water, it's a user pay system and therefore the rates will track it and less of the costs come out of the regular property tax base, uh, out of the regular property tax base. So I, I from my perspective, uh, I don't need any further discussion on it, but if, uh, someone else wants to weigh in, that's great, but I'm certainly prepared to uh, offer first reading bylaw 2069. Okay, uh, Ms. Downey. Greg, you mentioned the word fully fund. Is that correct? Um, again, I think I've said this in previous years, this fully funds water costs for this year. Um, okay. You know, and this year. so it, it, it currently captures the cost for this year's operating costs, capital costs. Um, this does not, and I don't wanna say that this is fully funded to the point where we never need to change the rate. Um, but in terms of this year's costs and revenues, this would, this would properly fund uh, those costs. Okay, that's one. The second is what, what motivated us to change the Schedule B? Um, those are just bringing some of those costs up to date and with discussions with director of engineering. Um, we had some really brief discussions on items that we thought were a bit low. And again, as a deterrent to, um, again, just make sure people don't tamper with hydrants um, or meters. Um, it just felt those needed to be raised to be more of a deterrent and, and sufficient for, for dealing with them. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Town, huh? Um, is this all, does this also uh, result in a uh, increase in the fees to, uh, to the Shaftesbury Co-op co water line and also to uh, the County of Northern Lights for the water? It does, Your Worship, at a, okay. at a similar rate. So um, those rates would increase by, by a similar amount, approximately 12.6%. Okay. Although 12.6% uh, for us will be more than 12.6% for them, since they're just paying um, for the water. But, but our, our costs also include uh, uh, 
is is supposed to include uh, the wastewater service. So that that's correct. They they do pay a bit yeah. less once those those costs are backed up. Um, any other questions? Okay, we have uh, a motion on the table for first reading from Mr. Needham. All in favor? Uh, there is a question, Your, Your Honor, oh. from uh, Councillor Good. Okay, Councillor Good. I just had one comment. I mean, again, with sensitivity to everything that's going on right now, I mean, I'm usually one of the ones who says, quite bluntly, taxes are what they are, the expenses are what they are. But I'm just it just makes me uncomfortable to, I mean, this comes in at April, the effects would come into, they would come into effect April 16th, 2020. And I think I'd like to see if it's possible. I know it wouldn't get us right to the recovery, but I wouldn't mind seeing some discussion around taking a look at a three month advance of the increase or something like that to help people get through this part, this time right now where people are really a lot of people never saw it. I mean, nobody saw this thing coming in January, February. They, they began to see it. I don't think a lot of people realized what kind of effect this was going to have. I, I'd be more comfortable if we were able to put an, uh, an abeyance in the increase until maybe three months from now so people have a chance to acclimatize to it and to acclimatize to all the other changes that they're going through. Just a suggestion on my part. Well, there's always excuses. Um, or reasons, depending on your point of view. But I'll leave it at that. And uh, we have capital projects that are dependent on this financing. And that those capital projects are going to help uh, jumpstart the economy, the local economy. Um, so I'm going to call for a vote uh, for first reading. All in favor? In favor. Okay, uh, against? Okay, nobody against. Um, so that now we're at uh, at second. Uh, um, yes, Ms. Mazur. I'll move second reading. Okay. All in favor? Okay. And uh, do we have a motion to go to third reading? Okay, Mr. Scamahorn. All in favor? In favor. Um, and uh, against? So that was unanimous. So we can go to. Mr. Good, was that against? You're on mute, Councillor Good. It was an opposition to the third reading, not to anything else. Okay. So. Um, just uh, uh, just looking for clarification, Mr. Parker. So uh, if it isn't unanimous on that vote, we can't go to third reading. That is correct, Your Worship. It has to be okay. uh, unanimous in order to go to third reading. Okay, very good. So uh, we, uh, we will, it'll be under, uh, under uh, unfinished business uh, next meeting, correct? That's correct. Okay. It'd be under uh, actually bylaws on the next. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, Very good. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that takes us to unfinished business, of which there is none. I'm just looking for confirmation on that, Mr. Parker. That's correct. 
Okay. And we're into new business, Your Worship. Okay. Uh, so the first item under new business is a request for decision regarding a request for tax penalty relief. Um, this was based on a document that was published April 14, 2020. Uh, I am going to excuse myself, not because I have a pecuniary interest, but uh, um, uh, I have a personal relationship with the, uh, with the individual requesting the tax penalty relief and, uh, and I, uh, I feel that uh, that may, may bias my my decision. So I will uh, hand over the uh, the chair to you, Deputy Mayor Manson. Okay. So um, uh, who's going to uh, lead us through this discussion? I will start, Deputy Mayor. Um, I also invited Mr. Schramm to join us and he could um, fill in any blanks. Again, the information was presented to council earlier today. I'll go through some of the high points and then if there's any questions, um, absolutely, um, please ask and we'll do our best to answer them. Um, before council is a request from a ratepayer to for relief on uh, penalty charges against the property. Um, the, the background that we presented go back to June of 2019. Uh, when the resident in question received a letter on outstanding taxes um, to which the previous notices had been returned to the town hall the undelivered. Um, resident came in and discussed with the tax clerk who explained the process relating to the concerns. Um, and we were not at the staff level um, considering tax or relief on the, the penalty payments at that time. Again, in the review of our process, we believe that we had fulfilled the functions of notification as per the MGA. Um, and there's um, no real position within the, or ability within the bylaw to uh, waive taxes except for instances of um, in, incorrect items, which we felt was not the case in this instance. Um, the resident in question then sent a letter to the town hall to which the finance manager responded um, later that week or within a week. Um, and that letter is part of your package and discussed um, the information in, in our recollection of, of the events that had happened. Um, and again, it's, it's an instance where we had uh, done our proper notification. We had followed the address information that was provided to the town and as such, um, uh, fulfilled, fulfilled the town's obligation in terms of, of um, our due diligence to get the information to ratepayers. There's a, a timeline of items within the report and also some information on MGA type items and, and questions. Um, again, this is fairly standard for the type of um, discussions that we have with ratepayers that are, are seeking uh, relief. Um, we, we get a handful every year where they may not have received notifications or had forgot or had other instances at the staff level. 
um, they're generally not considered or not able to be considered. And that's why we are here today as the repair has requested to come before council. Um, Mr. Schramm, I don't know if you have anything that you want to add. Not at this time, no. Um, I've got a question. Um, prior to the 2018, I guess, notice, the tax notices were going to the box number or the street address? Uh, prior, prior to, they were going to the street address. Okay. Uh, prior to, yeah. Prior to 2018's notices, they were going to the street address. Okay. Okay. Um, questions from councillors? If you want to raise your hand so I can figure out who's who. Uh, Ms. Downing? Um, I appreciate the work that was done on this. So thank you, Greg and Alan, for putting all that effort into it. Um, I mean, according to the ratepayer, the, the issue was that they were the ones that did not initiate the original address change. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, we received notification from land titles uh, of a change of, of registration and with it came a different address than what we had. Uh, I talked with Mrs. Martineau and, and that is the process that we follow we put in the address from land titles right and prior to that there hadn't been any missed taxes no there no there wasn't and so then the issue didn't come to the ratepayers' attention from this note until june of june of 2019 correct and at that point, the address was was then put in at its previous thing. So someone somewhere along the line, the address got changed, and we and the ratepayer is says that they weren't the ones that made that change. That is correct. We uh, but we did receive that notification from land titles of a change of registered owner, and included in that was a different address than what was uh, on our system. And uh, it is our practice then to, to f use the address that we receive from, from land titles. Mr. Councillor Downing, just if I could ask a quick question. Uh, Mr. Schramm, just so council is understanding, how many um, address changes will we have like this during a typical year? Um, it depends on the number of land sales and the transactions that go on through the town, but I would venture to say we probably have between 80 and 100. And these are uh, where the the ownership changes. Uh, usually, it is a result of a land sale, but it also could be a change of um, um, marital status or ownership mm -hmm. status between partners. Okay, um, but you usually go by whatever land titles has told you. When it comes to a change, yes, we do. But if a uh, resident or landowner comes in and requests a different address, we are more than happy to do that. Yeah, okay, thanks. Um, someone else had a comment, question? Uh, Mr. Good? Yeah, I, I, have, I have a question, um, probably for Mr. Cameron. The, the address, the box number address, what, what is that box number? I, I don't, can you hear me? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. So I, I want to make a few statements. The box number on there was an air. It used to be our box number before we bought the property. So that box number on there has been on there since 1994. So the town had it originally. I think someone had the wherewithal to know that it's not a proper address. So, you know, so, so, so I had the same mailing address for 25 years. So, so the reason, I, the only reason I'm asking the question is not that. The reason I'm asking the question is that the paper from the province says that the um, change was made on an affidavit from the from the owner. It says it was based on information put in the affidavit. From yeah, the in 2019. Sorry. In 2019. No, I think I'm looking at the one with uh, Donald David Cameron um, of box 6153. That was in July, entered July, 2017. The previous line says- Yes. Um, 172 affidavit of surviving joint tenants. So they were basing their information on your information. No, I, I went into the office, the 2017 change right. was by me going into the office because they had the wrong address on. And this is in Edmonton? No. Okay, okay. I'm talking about the sheet that came from land. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Land yeah. titles. That okay. says it was entered on July, I believe 14th, though it's a little bit gray. And it says, um, 1706-28, affidavit of surviving joint tenant, owner Donald David Cameron of box 6153. That's right. So that information would have been your information, not ours, not anybody else's. But this, this is the thing that has to be made perfectly clear. I went in and only took my wife's name off the title. And so that affidavit says change of new registered owners. Correct. So it doesn't do addresses change. I explained this to Mr. Schramm that land titles doesn't issue land addresses change. The papers that you gave them must have had either had your old address or land titles was using your old address at that time. As far I'm not talking about for the taxes end, I'm talking okay. about land titles. Okay. Okay. Hear me? Yeah. That address, box 6154, was a mistake. And it's by been who? On a mistake a, by who, though? It was made by the lawyer. It was on the original form, the original Correct. bill of sale. That was Back in 1994? Back in 1994? Back in 1994. So the box number had been at land titles all during that time? All during that time. Actually, if you see the document, it says box 6153 or whatever it is, 720199A Street. That's what it says. So the lawyer, if I'm, and I'm just, I'm not, I'm not taking a position here. I just no, want to. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, the lawyer 
didn't change the ad the lawyer who was doing the paperwork didn't change the address at one point at some point when they maybe could whoever, have whoever typed it up made a mistake because that's what it was our mailing address at that time so when and you hadn't that, notified them that that address was you for whatever reason they were not notified that that address no longer existed the land titles yeah they were so, not notified that the box no I was down there. in 2019 the clerk called it up because I got that signed statement I sent to you guys. I got her to send that. Right. And she said, and she noticed it was a mistake. I didn't have to do anything. She just corrected it on her own because it's not a legal description. Land titles deals with lands that has a legal description. You can't have a piece of land that has a box number. So they only put titles against legitimate lands right so this is this is my my key point i was trying to make right i've been to land titles twice and both times they told me they don't send out change of address because it only makes sense right the the 72019 a street that address was assigned by the town of peace river how can land titles change it well, there's two parts, if I might say, this will be the last comment I make, there's two parts to that land title change. One, the land title didn't change. The plan 6722NY block 12 didn't change. So the, the legal description that the land titles is using did not change at all. What they're talking about is the owner's contact information that they had did not have any um, address on it because you can you can, you can own 10 pieces of property, all will have different land titles, or let, not land titles, they'll all have different physical descriptions of the land, but the owner could be the same person with a single address, and that could be a person with a box number. Absolutely, but that so, piece doesn't deal with box numbers. I understand that, but I'm saying that their paper has the registered owner at box 6153. That's all the only point I'm making is that's who they had as the registered owner. That's who they have, right. Okay. But the that's key the only point, point I was making. The key point is though, they don't send that change of address to anybody. They don't No, they send a they send a change of owner. And when the owner changes, the new address is part of that new ownership. The address that they have listed on their paper is part of that new ownership. For example, if it had been sold to Billy Bob, just for an example. And we had gotten this exact same piece of paper with a different box number and a different name on it. We would have accepted that information as being accurate because it came through land titles with the owner at that address. So all I'm saying is that if you understand our, that point, the information we got said that there was a change in ownership. You could have moved away from your house. You could have still owned that property. You could have been living in um, Edmonton for that matter. And I'm not saying you were, but I'm just saying that the information that we get only included what it had there. That's right. Okay. But the information they send out, they don't send out addresses. No, they. I'm, I agree. They send out a new ownership form. That's all it is. So the only thing the town is in error if they say to use it to change addresses. It, it only identifies ownership. So 7201 will always be Seven tools. I understand what you're saying. So um, if you're, I don't think, yeah. 
So, so why would the town take that slip? All it says is notice of new registered owners. Doesn't say change of address. It just says. Correct. But if well, this is the last thing I'll say on this. If it said owner Bob Stevens with box two 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 two, what would you expect the town to do? Really? Well, it said that from 1994. So the town had whoever was doing the entering the data at that time must have realized that it's not a right real address and used the right address. I'm, I'm, I've, I've said enough there. I, but, but I think it's an important point because I've talked to land titles and they say they don't change, send out change of addresses. So why would you use it? All they change is titles. So why would you, why would anybody take it? Your process is wrong if you're illegally, if, you're, if they don't send out an address, right? Okay. Um, another question, just, I probably already asked this, but uh, from the town, um, prior to this um, 2019 um, change of address business, um, the, the town would have had box such and such as the address for Mr. Cameron, but the town would have sent the tax notice to the street address. Is that what was happening? Correct. Prior, prior to us receiving the notification from Lyon Town, it was in 2017. I've looked back and it was going to the street address. Okay, thanks. Hey, everybody. I just want to know if everybody can see and hear me now. I went to a different laptop. Yes, we can. So any um, uh, further questions of Mr. Cameron or this uh, process? I, I have a question. Yes, Mr. Scammerhorn. Um, what would we do if <clears throat> the notice that we sent out got lost in the mail? Let's say it was Canada Post's fault that the notice didn't show up. Who would be responsible? Uh, currently by the MGA, it would be the responsibility of the uh, resident or landowner. So we have no we matter... Have we have no way of knowing if it was Canada Post that lost it or, you know, some kid stole it or, or whatever. We, we don't know. Yeah. So I guess to connect the dots a little closer, I, what I'm trying to say is, is just like your monthly phone bill or your water bills that we were just talking about, they're, they're due every month and that's never changed. So even if I were to, let's say, not get my visa bill in the mail, if I were still uh, enough of a Neanderthal that I didn't believe in getting an electronic uh, delivery of my bills. And this happened to me once upon a time when the letter carrier actually lost my visa bill and I didn't pay it. And it was the last month that I was ever on a paper copy a while. This was a while ago. And uh, so I, I ended up not paying the bill that month because I didn't get that reminder, which is unfortunate, but it was in the end, the bills due every month and it was no one's fault but my own. Deputy Mayor. Mr. Needham. 
I guess from my perspective, uh, I could, uh, uh, if the resident was a 21 year old first time home blinder, perhaps, uh, perhaps I would have some, some, some further sympathy for him. But, uh, you know, I think every Albertan knows that taxes are due in this province on June the 30th. That's, that's a well known fact. Uh, I think every Canadian knows that CRA expects their money on April 30th. So, as Mr. Scammerhorn has said, uh, I think this is a case of some personal responsibility. Uh, if a letter got or the tax office got in the mail and was lost, or whether it was a box number, I, I think the resident needs to take some personal responsibility for this. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not inclined to, uh, to grant his wish. So, Ms. Downing, or Ms. Downing? Uh, so, Greg or, and Alan, you pointed out we have somewhere between 80 and 100 address changes a year on our taxes. And, and do those all come from land title? Is that what you were, was the point in that? Well, we get, we get uh, with every sale or change of ownership, we get a uh, document from land titles. And uh, we also process uh, in-house people coming in and asking for a change of addresses that way too. So, okay. So what you're saying is there's 80 to hundred a year. How many are coming from land titles? Well, I was, I was thinking 80 to hundred land titles alone. And then okay. in-house uh, that's really depends on, on sales and stuff. Okay, and so of that 80 to 100, is there follow-up? Is there error that comes from that, Alan, do you find? Um, actually, this is the first case coming through land titles that I've dealt with in my municipal career. Uh, Mr. Cameron, you had another comment? Well, I, I don't think land titles, obviously land titles doesn't send change of addresses. They change in change of titles. So the change in title happened when it became your name only on the title. Right. And, you know, to further to say it's a taxpayer's responsibility, I know that. I had a case in 2017 when they didn't change the address. The bank froze my account because they wanted, that's what initiated this change of title. And I couldn't pay the taxes. I got nailed with penalties. And when it, when I got the money, finally I paid the penalties. I didn't come crying that it was unfair. But this is clearly, clearly not my mistake. You're just ignoring someone else's mistake and trying to penalize me. That's my point. It's not. It's not that I wouldn't. I mean, I was, you know, there's other things going on, obviously, with the death of my wife. I'm not sitting there waiting for, you know, I paid them faithfully for 25 years and, you know, nobody, I don't care who it is, nobody sits around and, you know, it's not like Christmas coming and you're waiting for your taxes to come. Yeah. yeah. So, but the point is, you're jumping to the end. The point is someone made a mistake. If, if someone besides myself would have made a mistake and it's on me, sure, I'm no, no that, but if you get the in the mail for 25 years, 
why would you think it wouldn't come, right? Uh, and, you know, and, and you can turn to blind eye, but the, the, the important thing is that there was a mistake made and you're ignoring that mistake and penalizing the person that had no bearing on it. So, um, you know, you're ignoring, I got a statement from, signed from land, land titles that that address hadn't changed in 25 years. So, you know, You can turn a blind eye to that too, but you know, if it was, if you've had that same address for on your records for 25 years and somebody decides to change it. Uh, Mr. Ford. Yeah, the, or the question that I have, can everybody hear me okay? Pretty good. Okay. Yeah, I'm on a different laptop now. So it happened, Greg's idea happened to work. My my question is is when after after the death of your wife and you had the the properties changed into your name, okay, I'm just curious as to how did we get the ad like the the box number that was that was sent during after the land titles change? And how come it didn't have the same address on it as when it was two owners? It did. So it, it did. It, it's been that way for 25 years. So if I could, I think, summarize this after hearing this part now. Um, Mr. Cameron, you're saying that the box, the PO box number was incorrect back since 2000 and, or 1993? An incorrect box number? No. 94, yep. Yeah, it's been incorrect. Yeah. Okay. So I believe what would have happened is land titles had that incorrect information and they've carried along all this time. Um, we obviously received some type of correction probably in 93 or 94. Um, but, and then when the change went recently to the ownership in 2017 or 2018, land titles obviously picked up that incorrect address and forwarded it to the town the town receiving it, thinking that all the addresses we receive from land titles are correct and is a justifiable change, acted on that change, and that's where we are now. Right, but the key point is they didn't send you a change of address. But we use their notifications to capture address changes. But why? Because it's Part of the official record that we utilize to capture address changes, whether it's changes in ownership, transfers, etc. But they only change ownership; they don't change addresses. So you're in error by taking that as as gospel. So and just, the other thing is, besides that, why would you change my mailing address? Why wouldn't you use land title deals with civic or legal addresses? A box number is not a civic or legal address, no matter how you slice it. Why would you, and you must have in your records, because I have other property here, that you don't uh, mail it out to that box number again. Mr. Good? I think part of the term, maybe there may be a semantic problem here as much as anything, Mr. Cameron, and I, and I mean this in all sincerity. Um, 
I don't believe that the town made a mistake. We didn't. We don't process a change of address. What was processed was not a change of address form. What was processed was a change of ownership form. Okay? Yes. So the process was not a change of address. The That's process right. was a change of ownership form. When we get when somebody buys a piece of property, it doesn't matter who it is, or changes the ownership of a piece of property, it doesn't matter who it is. We get a sheet of paper. That sheet of paper is, is the land title changes and information service for Alberta for municipalities, which it has at the top of the page. That's what we get. We process a transfer of ownership. We use the information on that form because that's the information that is accurate. As Alan said, in his whole municipal career, that has been accurate information every single time other than this. So I think part of the problem is Terman describing it as a mistake on the part of the finance department of the town who did who followed the, <clears throat> the standard process that probably we and virtually every municipality in Alberta Not does true. when they get a change of ownership form. This okay. was not a change of address form. Okay, okay. It wasn't, and it states it's only a change of address or uh, title. That's what it says. New registered owners. Yes, and the registered owner is entered as Donald David Cameron of Box 6153 Peace River, Alberta. It's not the town's problem that that was on that form. The town had nothing to do with that piece of paper. No, the town's problem is they're misinterpreted what the form said. Does the form not say it's Donald David Cameron of Box 6153? Yes, but it says it's only changing the title. Doesn't say change okay. the address. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I, I think you and I are having a communication issue here, and, and I don't really want it to get to that because. Um, okay, so yeah. let, let me answer this. Okay, I've talked to land titles. Has anybody talked to land titles? I asked Mr. Schramm, he didn't do it. I asked him in the letter, he didn't do it. And I offered to phone them at the time. Well, they've said that they didn't send out a change of address form. So why you told us that a number of times. But we did receive documentation later that did show the registered owner as Donald David Cameron of 7201 99th A Street, and the town would not have initiated that document. Okay. No. Okay, councillors, other questions? So, um, just a statement. I think the whole, again, and the point I'm making is whether the address got lost or this or that or whatever, that's that's downriver of, of the crux of the issue is that every year taxes are due and just because a letter or an address or whatever gets lost or dropped or misplaced or by an act of God doesn't show up in your mail for whosoever reason and whosoever fault the ultimate responsibility lies with the owner of the property. Even if you could prove, even if you could prove that the letter carrier was caught on video, taking that letter and tearing it up and throwing it in the garbage, we couldn't go after that letter carrier for these penalties. They wouldn't be liable either. They'd be charged for something else. But in the end, the, the taxpayer is where the buck stops. And for 25 years, it had always been that way for you. And this time around, whether the letter showed up in the mail or not, 
for whatever reason, it, it can't make a difference to us because if that were the case, we would be spending every council meeting having discussions like this all the time. But, 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 oh, the difference is somebody, I didn't initiate this, right? Sure, if I just ignored my mail or it's got some, but you know, you're ignoring an error and or a procedure that's wrong in your system. I know you keep saying it's not, but you know, I could, we could sit on the phone and talk to land titles and tell you they don't send out mailing addresses. You know, the other fact is you didn't change it in 1994. I think there's a difference between me ignoring the error and saying that the error doesn't count. The error doesn't matter. The fact that that error happened doesn't change anything as far as the responsibility of the property owner to pay taxes every year, whether the mail comes in or not. So we can deal with that process in a separate conversation, but it has no bearing on the outcome in my perspective. So it's okay, like if, you know, if you run the traffic light and run into somebody, you know, it's not a fact that I made an error around the traffic light. The only difference here is the consequences are not severe, right? If somebody does something wrong, the only thing that is, you know, no matter what you do wrong as a town person, we can penalize somebody else for it, right? If someone were hurt in this situation, the, the root cause would have been important. But in this case, the only thing that's gonna hurt is me and only financially. You don't wanna correct the air. You don't wanna ignore the, the truth that that land titles doesn't send out. There's a error in your procedures. That's all right, we'll ignore it because nobody, you know, no babies were harmed in this incident, right? Uh, that's not what I'm saying, but I'll leave it where I've left it. Not, Mr. Cameron, that's not a fair characterization of this council. You, I have been on council for 10 years. You're the first resident that's went to this level of investigation. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're just about ready to wind this up, but you need to take some responsibility for this stuff. You alluded to, to the fact that you have other property in town. You've paid your taxes before. You knew that the date had come and gone. Why didn't you go down and, and do the notice of change? I mean, it, you no, say that, that there's no harm to anybody else. What you're, what you're asking us to do, you're asking your neighbors to, to, to cover some of these costs. I, uh, you're, that's not a fair characterization to say that we're not listening or turning a blind eye. That, that is wrong. Okay, well, I wasn't saying the fact that the uh, uh, other properties I didn't pay the taxes, the other, the other properties, the mailing address didn't change. Nobody took the mailing address to change it. I got that mail. Same with the other counties. You said the other counties or other towns use the same process. They do not. I know that for a fact, I talked to them. I have things in Grand Prairie and I have things in Tumblr Ridge and the other property here. They don't use that process. They and, don't and go when, do you, when do you pay your taxes in Grand Prairie and Tumblr Ridge? Well, at the same time, 
why didn't you pay your taxes and deserve at the same time? Like you, you, you knew your taxes were due. I, yeah. You knew your taxes were due, whether the so-called heir, the letter was lost in the mail. You knew that your taxes were due along with 22 other, 100 other residents in this town, as in Grand Prairie, as in Grand Cash. Okay, so I think uh, everyone has expressed their uh, questions and uh, views. Uh, would uh, someone like to oh. make a motion on this um, topic? Uh, Mr. Ford? Uh, not a motion, but I have a question for, uh, uh, for Mr. Schramm. So I wasn't on the video earlier in the conversation and it was kind of hard to hear on the phone. So when we're talking, when we're talking procedure, so if a property is sold or the names on a property change, okay, whether it's in Peace River or if it's Edmonton or Calgary, the process that municipalities use is when that notice comes from land titles to the, the change of ownership, the, ad, the address from that change of ownership is used. Am I correct? I can only speak for uh, places where I've worked and that is how it would, uh, the process is, is uh, land titles will send a, ch a change of ownership and that is used to update the tax uh, system. So I've talked to those other communities and they only use the address that I give them as an owner. Okay, so um, as I understand it, back in 93, 94, um, Cameron's bought the property. Uh, it was registered at land titles under both Mr. and Mrs. Cameron's name. It was, um, and on that document showed a box number. Uh, Peace River at the time started sending the tax notices to the street address for who knows what reason because they had the street address. Um, 2018, um, the ownership changed, Seven. and at that point in time, the um, box number became the mailing address because it was on the form that the town had reviewed at that point in time as a consequence of the ownership um, changing. Is that correct? I, I think that's fair, yes. Okay, and um, at the point that uh, Mr. Cameron uh, became aware of, I guess the address um, issue was in 2019 when he received a letter that stated that his 2018 taxes uh, were outstanding. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Okay. And at that point in time, discussions happened between Mr. Cameron and the town and later Mr. Cameron and the um, land titles. And um, as a consequence, uh, Mr. Cameron is, um, 
saying that he should not be paying any penalties because of the address um, uh, change that happened in the mailing system uh, as a consequence of the ownership documents. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah, yes, it is. Okay, and um, the um, taxes uh, have accumulated, um, well, our documents say that the uh, total amount of penalties levied is $3,524.01. Penalties up to 2019 when the resident first contacted the town were $1,495.18. And uh, the document we have in front of us, we have uh, several options presented by administration. Option one, to provide penalty forgiveness for the amount of $3,524.01. Option two, to provide penalty forgiveness in the amount of $1,495.18, which is the penalty amount prior to the resident being aware of the status in June, 2018. And option three, that council declined to forgive the penalty. Would someone care to make a, a resolution I, a motion? Can I ask one question? Yes. It took two years for them to contact me. Okay, so, so they got there, they got my, they got a return. I talked to the clerk, she got a return. The mail returned the first year and then they didn't take any action. And the second year, she looked up on my utility bill, my address. Okay. So, the town have any comment on that part? I think you've got Mr. Good's hand up, uh, Deputy. Oh, sorry. A few times there. Mr. Um, Good? Just a question. What is the the status now? Are, are the are the taxes paid at this point? Not the penalties, but are the taxes paid at this point? Yes. Yes. There's still actually, my understanding, there's still outstanding of approximately five hundred dollars from the original taxes. That's correct. Okay, I didn't get any notice of that last time I talked. They I paid up everything. So I, yeah. Not that I didn't, but there is, I would, yeah. Thank you. Okay, so councillors. You're looking for a motion, uh, Your Worship. I would put a motion on the floor that uh, we decline uh, Mr. Cameron's uh, request for forgiveness of the family. Okay, any further discussion? Okay, so we'll have um, a vote and um, just out of notice is we have six people. So um, if there's a tie, the, vote, the motion is defeated. So all those in favor of the motion? And I need to count your hands here. So I have Mr. Good, Mr. Needham, Mr. Scammerhorn. All those uh, opposed? I have three opposed. So the motion is defeated at this point in time. Um, Mr. Um, Parker, 
the motion is defeated. Uh, how do we move forward? Or I can make another motion, right? I believe so. Uh, I, I, I would like to make the motion for option two that we provide penalty forgiveness for the 1495-18, uh, the penalty amount prior to the resident being aware, aware of the status in June of 2019. We were sending him his utility bills at one address and his taxes at another. Doesn't make sense to me. Okay, any discussion on that motion? Mr. Uh, yeah, just a question. So being we're talking about uh, penalties here and uh, with the current situation that we are in and the uh, possible def deferrals of more interest on when we're talking like utility bills and, uh, and taxes that are coming up. So I would assume that um, depending on how this motion goes, though that interest on these taxes would be would follow suit with uh, whatever's decided on coming up in the in council. That's that's correct. Deputy, Deputy Mayor, may uh, I ask you a procedural? Actually, I, I think the the clarification is is it be for this year's taxes would be deferred. So he would have to come up uh, outstanding and then, and Mr. Town can clarify that. But uh, um, I don't believe we are, um, author, are recommending um, past taxes. It'll be the current year's taxes will be delayed for the penalties, or maybe that's what it is. The new penalties won't be put on until, until later if that motion gets passed. Uh, Mr. Town? Um, yes, and Mr. Sharon could correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the interest that would normally, or penalties normally levied on July, August, and September 1st are only on current year taxes. Um, once those taxes, so we charge interest on, on January 1st or December 31st on anything that's in arrears, but if it's current, it's only the, the three summer months, the July, August, September, so it would not necessarily impact this. So the previous balance would not be charged interest on the upcoming summer months. Mr. Needham, did, do you have a comment? I, I did. Well, question of clarification. Under our procedural bylaw, and I'm uh, looking at uh, you know, executive assistant Ruth or perhaps Chris or uh, just clarification of the, the lost motion. Um, according to our procedural bylaw, once the motion is lost, is there does our procedure of bylaw allow for it to come back for what's being proposed right now? This is a new motion. Okay, same, same subject matter, new motion. Okay, yes, thank you. That is correct. And so that was Councillor Downing that made the new motion? Yeah. Yes. Thanks okay. for the clarification. So we're ready for a vote. Uh, question before we vote, just um, what if this is a 3-3 three, three split as well? What happens after that? Mr. Parker? A new motion could be made. It could be the third recommendation or it could be a whole entirely different uh, recommendation. Okay. But I, 
what I would suggest though, is if you are, are stuck, maybe uh, um, have more discussion on uh, uh, what you would like to see done. <clears throat> Sorry, caught me while I was eating my din-din. My apologies. <laughs> okay, uh, Mr. Scammerhorn, another comment or question? No, I, I, I was just, I just would like to know uh, which way things bounce, just depending on what happens, yeah. that's all. Okay, thank you. Bear with me, I can see what the procedural bylaw says about bringing in or repeating motions, because there is a limitation on if a motion can be re-voted on within a certain period of time. But somebody wrote a really long bylaw. I think it has to be somebody who's uh, uh, voted in favor of the motion or something. Maybe that's something else. Special meetings, resolution, Oh, I, I think it would have to be someone that changed their mind, wouldn't it? Like, you'd expect someone that already voted in favor to, to bring it up again. Someone from the dissenting side needs to put the vote on it. Yeah, I believe that would be the one. Which is what we have here, I think. Yes, we do. <laughs> so Johanna's motion would stand. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering what happens after we vote on it. We can go ahead and vote on it, and, and we'll we'll know in a bit. I, I think Mrs. McQuaig is figuring out if we can have this. Oh, you can certainly vote on the new motion. That's not an uh, at okay. At all. Okay, then let's vote on the motion. So uh, all, all right. of those in uh, favor of the motion, which is to provide penalty forgiveness in the amount of $1,495.18, which is the penalty amount prior to the resident being aware of the status in June 2019. Those in favor of the motion. Um, one, two, three, four. Those opposed to the motion. Two. So the uh, motion is approved. Four to two is the vote. Okay, so that would be uh, the result of that matter. So the $1,495.18 is the penalty that would need to be paid. No, actually. Uh... That would be the forgiveness. Sorry, you're off opposite. Uh, Mr. Parker? Yeah, yeah, sorry, that, uh, that is $1,400 would be actually forgiven, forgiven. and uh, the rest would still be outstanding. So the outstanding amount is the difference between the $3,524.01 and the $1,495.18. The and, difference and plus between... uh, his outstanding of $500. I, I believe it's a total with um, penalties and interest was $4,000, I believe, um, Mr. Schramm. That's correct. I and think so we just deducted $1,400 from that uh, total. So administration, would you be sending a letter to Mr. Cameron? Um, yes, we will do this? so. Okay. With, with a copy of the motion. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Cameron, for um, adding to our information. And uh, we'll have to go onwards from here. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, would someone be able to uh, uh, call the mayor back to the room? Yeah, Mr. Uh, Mr. Tom did that. So Mr. Cameron, I'll uh, remove you from the meeting then. 
or he can stay, whichever. Okay, very good. So uh, the next item on the agenda is a request for decision on financial options in response to COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, who is leading the discussion on this? Mr. Town or Mr. Parker? Um, I'm doing this, Your Worship. Very good. So before you as a financial options report that was requested by council, to mitigate the financial burden on ratepayers, residents, and businesses of the town of Peace River um, during this COVID-19 pandemic, which has brought forth economic and um, societal hardship, you know, that's truly been unseen in generations. Um, we all realize the impact is vast in all three levels of government, federal, provincial, and municipal all have their roles to play to deal with the pandemic. Um, the options in um, financial levers available to each government are different. Um, I think we could all agree that both the federal and provincial governments have put forth a significant effort to try to lessen the impact. Um, and I think should be commended for doing so. Um, while at the municipal level, it's a little tougher to consider and we have fewer options that we could consider um, as part of our system assistance. Uh, we cannot plan for deficits to provide for support and assistance. We don't necessarily have the means to consider um, stimulus type options. And our large recent capital projects, which include the multiplex, 99th Street slide, Reservoir 365, have temporarily reduced our reserves to consider other options. And again, I've, as I've talked to council, reserves are cyclical in nature. <coughs> You build them up, you use them for capital projects or other items as needed. Um, and we're at a bit of a, a lower point in, in that cycle because of the large projects that have um, been done and concluded just in the last two or three years. The staff report that is part of the agenda presents three financial options for consideration at this time. As situations change, council may be able to consider other uh, further alternative options, um, but the ones that are brought forward now are, are timely as they will affect tax rates and collections, um, which is a process that occurs starting in May. The first option, and we'll just kind of talk about these in, in the three chunks. The first option is the deferral of penalties on utility um, billings until June 19th, 2020, which aligns with the three month timeline presented by the provincial government for the utilities. Um, this is fairly straightforward to do and is identified within the report. Uh, it's a financial impact of approximately $2,000 per month if council wanted to consider that. Um, before we move on to other parts, are there any questions about deferrals on utility um, payments at this time? I have a question. Um, so even though June 19th is the provincial, I don't know, timeline, is June 19th uh, the end of our cycle for, I don't know, utility payments? Or is it in the middle of a billing cycle? Or are they different all over town? Um, I think we would look at it. The, the intent was a three month um, cycle. So I think we would look at it in terms of three utility bills. 
for um, the deferral of, of taxes. Thank you. Not taxes, utilities, sorry. Okay, um, not hearing any other questions. I, that one's pretty straightforward, so I, I didn't expect many questions there. Um, the next option deals with the recently approved operating budget and the subsequent tax rates. Uh, the approved budget called for tax revenue changes, which is the amount of tax revenue needed to be collected in 2020, uh, approximate increase of $340,000 or 3.4% on existing properties within the town. Um, just for reference, so council's aware of tax revenues in 2019 were budgeted at $11.3 million. Uh, since the COVID outbreak, uh, the financial situation has changed dramatically. Where we were two weeks or four weeks ago is significantly different from where we are now. It's, it's incredible, the rate of change. Um, but in order to provide financial support to ratepayers, council directed staff to review the budget for impacts. And there are positive and negative impacts and report the savings and mitigation options to council. The financial results of this review are shown within the report to council. In summary, staff are projecting that the current 2020 financial position is a favorable variance or a surplus, if you want to call it that, of $44,800, which includes projected revenue losses, mostly from recreation activities, um, projected expenditure savings, and savings that we are currently experiencing from staffing vacancies. Staff also project uh, savings throughout the balance of the year, which are projected or expected to be just over $411,000, which is pretty significant. Um, some of these are fairly achievable items, such as reducing training development costs, um, which was a decision that is generally made for us since most of our, our conferences and other activities, both at the council and staff level, have been counseled or will be counseled as we go throughout this. Um, deferring some planned projects, some minor ones, and again, these are operating projects, not capital ones, to 2020, um, to the actual consideration of service level cuts, such as not opening the visitor information center or suspending um, summer staff hiring at um, multiple departments within, within the town. Uh, these two amounts, when you take them together, total um, $456,200. Um, the staff recommendation, and it's within the report, are recommending that 340000 of this amount be used to reduce or go against the tax revenue needs of the town in 2020 which would effectively create a zero tax revenue change. This will in turn uh, create an average zero tax bill change to ratepayers. Um, and again, that's an aggregate type scenario. Um, however, individual ratepayers may experience different results, positive or negative, depending on specific changes to their assessed values. Um, so I'll Take a pause here. That's the discussion around if tax or if council wants to use um, potential savings that we would realize in 2020 as a mitigation effort against tax revenue needs and 
and attempt to affect a, a zero tax rate increase as um, we prepare the 2020 uh, tax rate bylaw. So if I may, a question. Yes, yes. Um, go ahead, Dr. Newman. We, um, you talked about summer staff. Did that include like the summer step student kind of staff? Yes, it's, it's pretty well all summer staff, whether it's um, grant funded or not. Okay, because I'm just wondering, um, the federal government, I think, has announced um, that they would pay up to 100% of some summer student staffing. Does that have any impact on any of these numbers? Well, and those are, so we haven't considered that. Uh, again, the existing programs and Director Bell could, could step in if I'm, if I'm wrong. Um, they would pay up to a certain amount, I believe it's nine or $10 an hour, and then we would pay the difference. Um, if there are programs out there, and again, things are moving really quickly and we're, we're trying to capture these and, and learn them as we go through. Um, you know, if there's a government program that's funding 100%, we will absolutely take advantage as we are able to. Um, but we're trying to avoid those other programs where we would incur a cost, even if we're only paying 30, 40, 50%, because we need to find savings wherever we can throughout the budget. Any other questions of Mr. Town, Ms. Ms. Uh, Downey? So Greg, you're, you ended the discussion before the actual recommendation. I need to understand the disadvantage a little bit better as it comes down to the budget. I am a little bit confused about that not eliminating the budget part. If you could just beef that part up a little, please. I can, so what I just wanted to ensure that council is aware of. Um, we are using savings from the 2020 budget to pay for this. Um, however, those savings may not exist in 2021. So if council approves this, um, since those savings haven't been extinguished, um, the funding or the tax revenues will be needed in 2021 to pay for 2020 plus any other potential budget impacts in 2021. So if council has increases to, or not even increases the services, but maintain services and there's just natural inflationary type increases, um, those would have to be um, considered and dealt with also in 2021. So, so sorry, oh, Greg. I don't mean to be so confused by this, but as Don likes to say, he doesn't know numbers. I'm going to steal his little line there. Thanks, Don. And uh, but you said that they they're not extinguished. Although some of the savings that we have from this year are absolutely extinguished. As an example, the training that was supposed to happen this year is not going to happen. So that's already a savings. So what you're saying is some of that money we still may need to double down on next year in order to accomplish our, our goals. Not, not necessarily double down. So, and I'll just use a broad number here. So let's say organizationally, the training development for the town, for all staff and all council, maybe $200,000. We could reduce it very easily by 60,000 this year because of uh, there won't be the opportunity. But next year, 
it's not going to be 140,000. It's going to be that $200,000 still. That's our base amount. And that's what I wanted to be clear. We're, we're not losing these costs in future years. We're just able to not do them in 2020, but they will still have to be dealt with in 2021. Sorry. So that means that our, it, it's, that the budget will it, the budget is technically remaining the same we're just finding savings as they're presented for this year that's correct and this this could Thank be you. a discussion that council could have over the next four or six months as we go into fall how do we want to navigate 2021 you know is this because of the current situation and who knows what the financial situation will look like in in those four or six months where that might be the time where real service reviews may have to occur um, and council, you know, could direct staff to say, this is the type of information we need to, to review services. Please go and get this for us. And then council could have that discussion and see where the real impacts are. So if I may, so far we've, we've not laid off anybody specifically for this reason yet. Uh, that's correct. We've been able to um, find these savings without impacting staffing or employment at this point. And it's not to say that we, we may not ever be faced with that reality. However, up to this point, um, other municipalities have had to make those tough decisions. You guys have managed to um, figure this out in ways that do not impact our uh, our, our staff. I'm assuming we have all the staff we have because they're essential. You don't run a uh, a, uh, a, a bloated organization, Mr. Parker or Mr. Town, correct? I'd, I'd like to call us uh, 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 the counties, many of the counties, not all of them, but many of the counties are like prime rib, lots of fat on them. We're more like tenderloin. There's no fat. <laughs> Your, the look on your face, Mr. Town, was 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 all the message I just needed there. Fantastic, um, Mr. Needham. But having said that, we do have a public service, and if we don't have any public to service, what are we doing? Uh, so I don't. I don't think that was actually a rhetorical question. So does someone from the town want to actually answer that? <laughs> or was it a rhetorical question, Mr. Needham? I, I carry on. I, 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 I worry that we're not doing enough. Okay. So, okay, Mr. Good. It's, it's my understanding, and I, th I think that when we talk about areas uh, uh, that people may be concerned about, I think we're kind of looking Tanya. Um, so <laughs> I saw the smile. Um, my understanding is that what's occurred, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that the people who, <clears throat> in other words, situation may change in three months, but right now, all of the people that would could possibly have been facing layoffs have been, if I'm correct, moved into other jobs. They're not sitting around and doing anything. They are doing productive, either maintenance things or things that would have to be done at a later date. We're doing them now. Am I correct on that? In other words, the work is being done. 
because you know some people might have a vision of people sitting around the library reading books all day, actually sitting in the hot tub at the pool and you know enjoying a swim when they have a break. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think that's an accurate reflection of reality. No, there's nobody in the pool. Um, so our department, having been deemed sort of not essential, is actually a bit of a false nomer at this point. Um, we actually have a lot of staff that are engaged directly with uh, an agency in the community that's utilizing, potentially utilizing, um, and I, I can't get into the details of this publicly because it's not public information. So there's gonna be some broad strokes here and I'm hoping you can uh, fill in the gaps. Um, we're looking at providing uh, facilities to support to an agency and we've been dealing with that quite heavily over the last month. Other staff are still ongoing and being engaged a lot with uh, some of the provincial programming that is coming down from the province and assisting our vulnerable population and agencies that are also assisting those vulnerable, vulnerable populations. So staff, quite a number of staff have actually um, been required to sort of rework some of their existing tasks and there's a lot of time and effort has gone into maintaining the services that we can maintain in a different format, in a different method. Um, the Easter egg hunt, as non-essential as it is, it also provides a lot of um, goodwill within your community. And that was a reworking of a program we'd, or an event we would do in a completely different format. So staff are still very busy. We are not doing make work projects as of yet, and I don't foresee that happening. Um, in saying that though, we are reviewing a specific segment of our employee pool, um, and, and we're gonna have some serious conversations about that particular segment this week. I can get into more detail if you would like to know about um, <clears throat> other bits and pieces within the departments, but um, we're sealing concrete floors in the Baytex, for example, because the contractor didn't do it. There's lots of work that staff are able to do. And again, it's not what make work projects. It's a lot of, we finally have a little bit of time in certain areas to be able to do some of the things we don't normally get to do, but lots of reshifting of programs and services. I'm not sure that fully answers your questions, but and some of the things we've done in other departments, like in the public works, we've, we've gone to two different shifts and uh, rotated people, um, uh, longer hours, different shifts. Uh, same with water, wastewater. We have two complete shifts that are uh, lined up that don't overlap. Um, we're uh, emphasizing quite a bit of uh, training too, um, that we, it's sometimes very hard for us to get uh, during a normal course year. Uh, so we're catching up on some of those things that we need to do. Uh, we reallocated individuals from one uh, building to another building. So you normally have like a payroll in downtown. They're out by the airport uh, just uh, for the social distancing, uh, decreasing the amount of people in a building. We still service individuals uh, in the main town hall. Uh, taxi passes do come uh, here. We do set up by appointment. Uh, so. So it's, it's just, uh, we're trying to work around uh, all the issues uh, and still maintain uh, the spirit of uh, social distancing and ensuring that our staff are safe and also that the town residents are safe. 
uh, because we, we definitely don't want to get something to give it to them and we don't want them to give it to us and us pass it on to anybody else. So uh, we are trying to do everything effectively and, um, and ensuring things do run uh, as smoothly as best we can. Yeah, just another note, um, we've talked briefly about the ice um, moving out of town this week, thank goodness. But there was a lot of time and effort put in by my department specifically in preparations for the what if scenario things did go sideways. So securing transportation potentially for evacuation, securing hotel rooms, securing uh, food services, uh, staff were trained last week on the new provincial registration program. So I had 10 staff specifically working on all the preparations if we needed to put something into place this week, which um, so far, knock on wood, it looks like we did all that work for nothing, but that's exactly what we want to happen. So that's a good thing. So those are just some examples. Right, and your uh, your temporary or your casual staff, they work on hours, and if there's not hours available, they don't get paid, right? So, so in in a manner of speaking, they're somewhat laid off because they they're usually at the pool lifeguarding, but because the pool isn't open, uh, you you don't assign them hours unless you've got work for them to do in terms of pool maintenance that may have to be done, correct? That, that's correct. And again, we are doing some reviews this week of right. uh, certain segments, yeah. Right, right. Uh, any other uh, questions on that? Um, I, I have a, so you, when I look at your uh, RF, RFD request for decision. Um, so I'm assuming that the bold face last set of recommendations are the are uh, are your preferred recommendations. Is that correct? That that's correct. Those are the staff um, recommended recommendations. Okay. Uh, well, you've got recommendations all over this thing. So, um, but but your preferred one is that. Council approved the deferral of penalties on utility build, billings until June the 19th, 2020. And then you go that council used the savings identified by staff, uh, apply $340,000 of these savings to reduce the tax revenue needs in 2020. What you're saying is not the, re um, we're, we're not, cutting your recommendation is not to cut the taxes but your recommendation is to take three hundred and forty thousand dollars of these savings to support the budget that was put forward uh, a few weeks ago correct that's correct yes and and that staff include these changes within the uh, 2020 tax rate bylaw which which will have a zero tax increase, um, but uh, but you're just going to use three hundred forty thousand dollars to do what we had planned to do with the budget that we passed. So just a confirmation on that, Mr. Dan. Sorry, could you say that again? <laughs> maybe 
Mr. Parker, did you understand what I was saying or no one understood what I was saying? Well, does uh, so this... I, I understood, but I, I don't know if that yeah, makes okay. me feel better. So I, I just wanted to know, so when you come up with a tax rate, with the tax rate by law, it's going to have a zero tax increase, but it's not going to reduce the taxes by 3% or anything like that. It's just going to be a zero rate increase and the $340,000 that you have found in savings, you will apply towards the budget that was put forward so we can carry on through, carry through with that budget. That's correct. So I think the easiest way to say it then, in 2019, our tax revenues were $11.3 million. Yep. In 2020, based on the approved budget, they'd be closer to 1.6 million, but we will utilize the $340,000 in savings to back it down to that one point, or that $11.3 million. So the tax revenue generated will be the same in 2020 as it was in 2019. Right. Yeah, you switched between 11.3 and 1.6 million. Okay. Uh, but I think I understood you. And um, and then the other one that you want is that council directs staff to prepare an updated penalties on up unpaid taxes bylaw to be presented at the April 27, 2020 council meeting. And that uh, is just to uh, allow to allow the uh, penalties only to kick in on um, on what date uh, that would then be uh, what are you going to defer the tax penalties to? Um, staff would be recommending that they be deferred to and I'm just going to refer back to the report. Um, October 1st, November 1st, and December 1st, rather than July 1st, August 1st, September 1st. So three months. Okay. Okay. Uh, if, uh, if there's no uh, further questions or comments, I would ask for a motion to uh, support administration's recommendations. Do we want this in multiple motions or... or I think if we, um, yeah, let's do it that way. So there'll be three. So who wants to kick it off with the utility buildings? Um, is I will, one? Your Worship. Okay. Yes. I'll make a motion that council approve the defer the deferral of penalties on utility bills until June 19th, 2020. All in favor? I think that's unanimous. No. Uh, Mr. Needham, are you uh, voting against that motion? Okay. We have one dissenter amongst us. <laughs> uh, the, so, but that one's passed. So uh, who wants to do the next motion? Ms. Uh, Deputy Mayor? I would move that uh, council use the savings identified by staff, applying $340,000 of these savings to reduce the tax revenue needs in 2020 and that staff include these changes within the upcoming 2020 tax rate bylaw. All in favor? Well, I wouldn't mind adding a bit of an amendment to that. 
uh, well, we just voted on that. Clarification on it that this would result in a zero, effectively a zero percent tax increase, just so it's clear and understood by yeah, people. That's why I went through it. But I, I think if uh, if there isn't a, when the tax rate bylaw comes up next meeting, and that isn't the case, uh, um, I, I think uh, you you can you can make a motion to that effect. Okay. Fair. Um, and the third recommendation administration would like. Uh, who wants to make that one? All right, I'll take a stab at this one. Okay. Okay, I move that council direct staff to prepare an updated penalties on unpaid taxes bylaw to be presented at the April 27th, 2020 council meeting. Okay, all in favor? That looks like a unanimous vote. I don't believe we voted actually on the second motion. Uh, we did. We did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so maybe when you put your hand up for a question, I just took that as an affirmative. <laughs> okay, I'm fine with it. <laughs> okay, I think we can now move to uh, the next item on the agenda, which is a request for decision regarding the termination of tax and service sharing with the County of Northern Lights. All, uh, all in favor? <laughs> no, uh, who's gonna manage that one? Who's going to lead the discussion on that? Mr. Parker or Mr. Town? I'll, I'll present this one. Or um, perhaps Mr. Shram would like to. He's out on the golf course there. I, I got to be honest, based on the volume of work I did with the ICFs, <laughs> doing something that finishes that process is kind of gratifying. Yes, very good. Carry on. So um, this should be pretty straightforward, so I will keep it um, pretty pretty brief, um, but with the completion of our intermunicipal collaborative framework with the County of Northern Lights, the existing um, tax revenue and service sharing agreement uh, needs to be terminated. County of Northern Lights had made a similar motion at their March 24th meeting, so SARS will be similar. Um, so did they vote against it or vote for it? They voted to terminate it. Okay. Um, so just a really, really brief, uh, brief background. Um, the existing agreement, um, which we also call the JDA or the Joint Development Agreement because of the geographic area, um, was a revenue sharing agreement. So uh, we received a portion of um, taxes collected within that physical boundary. Um, Northern Lights also received a portion of taxes that were collected on the northwest corner of town for, for taxes. Um, and again, it was a collaborative effort to attempt to um, really try to focus on the ability to encourage growth in the area. And since there was revenue sharing, um, it, there'd be incentive for both parties to, to consider that. Um, however, with the ICF discussions and the, the focus being on the provision of services as had been discussed within the, the MGA legislation or the legislation, legislative framework, um, the revenue and service sharing agreement um, would be replaced by our um, ICF agreement that was approved on March 23rd. Um, so again, this 
the ICF replaces this. The ICF is a lot more encompassing on the provision of services. It focuses on services. Um, there's mechanisms in there to deal with operating costs um, plus capital costs as they come up. Um, the fire agreement, which is not part of our ICF uh, agreement is not included or, or part of this discussion, but this would replace um, the other agreements that we had with CNL that could have been applicable, such as the airport funding agreement or FCSS agreement. Um, those actually expired in 2019, so there's no, no need to deal with those, but we are looking for council's approval to um, terminate the existing um, tax and revenue sharing agreement with County of Northern Lights. Okay, um, I will allow some questions, uh, questions for Mr. Town. But I think it's a pretty up and down vote. Who wants to make the motion? Uh, Mr. Ford? Can you hear me, Mr. Ford? Yeah, I'll make that motion. And what is that motion exactly? I have to open up the document here again. I have it here if you want. Uh, it should be that council terminate the existing tax revenue and service sharing agreement dated August the 1st, 2007 with the County, County of Northern, Northern Lights. All in favor? Great, another unanimous vote. Um, and uh, we will now move to a request for decision regarding the intermunicipal development plan referral policy. And I will ask Ms. Modi to lead the discussion on this. Good evening, Council. Good evening. We have before you a, uh, the IDP referral policy. This was previously brought to Council at the uh, March Priorities and Governance meeting. And the referral policy establishes uh, internal uh, Internal procedures for how we'll deal with any sort of referrals that come from any of our rural municipal partners uh, based on the referrals that they would be sending to us through our intermunicipal development plans, uh, which we've entered into with each of them uh, last year. So the policy lets us know internally um, how that referral will be handled so that we can provide comment back to our neighboring municipalities. So the policy itself establishes four different ways uh, that we might deal with them. The first is that uh, the manager of planning development would bring any referral to council. That would be for the strategic documents that each municipality is required to have. So your municipal development plan, area structure plan, redevelopment plans. Uh, those are, they establish or they set the tone and are the, at the top of the planning hierarchy and any planning decisions that our neighbors should be making um, relative to development in their municipalities should be consistent with those. So council definitely need to be aware of and have an opportunity to provide comment on those. Um, the second option for how we'll deal with them is that the manager of planning and development will provide um, a recommendation to the CAO as to whether or not something needs to go to council. Sorry, I realize I'm skipping around. Um, but those, uh, that will apply to the majority of the referrals that we get is we'll make a determination between myself and uh, Mr. Parker as to whether or not it needs to be brought forward to council's attention or it does not, um, either for information or for uh, just for uh, decision. Um, 
And that will apply to the land use bylaw, to uh, applications for subdivisions, disposition of environmental reserve and things of that like. Uh, and the development of a recreation plan. So it really depends on the circumstances of each uh, application and whether or not it would be of council's interest. Um, and then we'll also have um, many items, development permits specifically that would be brought forward to council for information only. And they would be brought forward um, depending on council schedule. And that means that in many cases, the referral timeline, which is only 10 days to make sure that we're not unduly um, stalling development in our area uh, that would come to council after the referral deadline is passed. So council wouldn't really have an opportunity to provide comment on that specific development, but you would be in the know. And then if there are trends that are worrying, then it does give us the opportunity to have those conversations with our, um, our neighboring partners uh, if there are issues there. So the policy establishes those. It also acknowledges that there is a, a fourth option would be that myself as the manager of planning and development would review the referral and provide comment, uh, but it doesn't direct that that would be the circumstance for any situation because that's just a little bit too much uh, individual decision-making for the, the town's um, perspectives on neighboring development. So we would ask that you approve the IDP referral policy um, which provides us with the clear internal procedures so that we know what your expectations are and that those are consistent across the organization. I can take any questions. Okay. Any questions on the expectations that we're going to have of the planning department? Oh, it looks like it's going to be an easy passage here. So we'll, I'll ask for a motion. Ms. Downing? I'll move that the council approve the IDP referral policy as presented. All in favor? Okay, you're good to go, Ms. Modi. Thanks, Thanks Alicia. Okay, um, we will now go to reports. Uh, the, there's a report there, the uh, summary of the April 1st, 2020 North Peace Housing Foundation board meeting. And um, is there anyone? Uh, well, perhaps I should ask uh, Mr. Scamahorn if there's anything within that summary that he wants to underscore. Uh, the main thrust of that is that uh, everything that is done is done through the lens of this outbreak. So all of their procedures. Um, it's not that their procedures have changed. They've always had procedures in place for this kind of thing, but they've certainly been amplified, enhanced, and, and they are now being carried out uh, through through that, that process. So um, just up to question a questionnaire for employees before they come into work. Uh, when they do come in, monitoring uh, temperature before they're allowed to work. Um, social distancing at the office. Very few employees are even working out of the central office uh, right now. Clients uh, that wish to pick up or drop off things are served through the lobby. Um, you name it. Uh, it. Anything that you've seen, you know, happening, they're, they're bringing in more staff to take care of the enhanced uh, sanitation requirements. Um, meals are being served over a longer period of time to allow the dining room not to be as full. Um, if you can imagine it, it's going on there and it requires more bodies. So uh, right now when everyone's being laid off, well, 
we're full steam ahead, uh, trying to find more people to fill these housekeeping and uh, spots as well, and 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 even getting current staff trained into uh, you know other tasks uh, so they can cover off. Because of course, if anyone is um, showing up or or calling in. Uh, with any kind of symptoms or whatever, uh, now you've got to make sure that those employees aren't uh, aren't showing up. So you've got to fill their their spots as well. So it's it's all hands on deck. And you have to isolate them for ten days. Is that not correct? Uh, yeah, I I'm not yeah. sure exactly what the number is, but Ms. Manager, um, um, do you know if we have any staff at North Peace Housing that work at more than two more than one facility? That would be a good question for Mr. Good. My initial answer would be no, they did not like, cause we had some that were between, in particular between Fairview and Hines Creek. Um, so that would be harvest and heritage. Um, and I believe that ceased prior to the announcement from higher up. So Mr. Good, can you confirm that? Yes, I can. The answer simply to your question is no. Um, we changed our prior to the government making the determination. We had gone to our staff. We had some staff who worked at uh, were part-time casuals, for example, who worked at two or three different locations. Um, they were told that we were not going to have them working at different locations if they were going to be part-time casual with us. They could only work with us, and they could make a choice as to which employment they wished. They weren't going to lose their employment after this all quiets down. Their jobs would still be intact but we weren't gonna have people working at two or three different locations then coming into the lodge. In the lodge, we um, went even further. We, uh, people don't only not, not work at different lodges or different locations within, the, within our organization. We, this is weeks back, we worked against um, determining which employees worked in which areas of the lodge. And for example, if you weren't in the kitchen staff, you weren't in the kitchen. So. We wanted to make sure that people weren't cross-contaminating within different areas of work. Um, we've actually been, and I'm proud to say this, in a lot of cases, we've been ahead of the province on the decisions that we've made and um, been very, very, very determined to work as hard as we can to make sure that everything goes well for the seniors in our care. Yes, uh, Mr. Scamhorn, if you could pass along our uh... I don't know if congratulations are the is the right word, but to uh, our uh, accolades accolades to uh, Ms. Menza for her uh, early lockdown of the uh, of the seniors' homes and uh, the isolation procedures that uh, she and her staff put in place uh, to uh, well to have certainly avoid uh, what was happening what what has happened uh, immediately south of us and also uh, uh, in other other parts of this province as well as uh, Quebec and uh, and Ontario. Uh, I will certainly do so and uh, knowing the disposition of our executive director the first thing she will do is give credit to her wonderful staff so I will make sure it happens. Okay very good. Okay, thank you. So we will now go to information. Uh, there's a letter of thanks to municipal councils and staff from the Lieutenant Governor. Um, I didn't read that letter. What is she uh, congratulating us on? 
Did any of you read it? Yes. <laughs> She's offering thanks, gratitude. He actually said uh, specifically municipal officials and municipal government workers uh, as frontline emergency workers. Thank you and, and have nothing but great deep respect. Yeah, that's very good. Um, but allow me to pass along an observation is uh, I had cause to go to Walmart uh, at noon today. And um, while Walmart has a lot of uh, a lot of uh, things in place. Uh, certainly our residents, or perhaps it's residents from out of town going to Walmart, uh, but uh, they weren't um, observing the distancing rules very well. Um, and uh, that, that concerns me in that we have a weakness there in terms of combating the, uh, the COVID epidemic. I realize that we just don't have the staff to try and enforce those rules, but uh, um, and and we would we have to change our bylaws if we wanted to hand out tickets for not uh, not uh, practicing uh, uh, distancing. No, we actually have that authority. Uh, it was granted under the um, uh, Emergency Management Act. Uh, peace officers, even bylaw enforcement officers. Uh, can uh, hand out the citations uh, and, and enforce the, the Health Act. Yeah, um, we may have to do something like that. I know it's awkward, uh, but... Uh, um, well, what we have been done doing, Your Worship, is uh, we have been contacting them. When we're made aware of issues, we have been contacting businesses. Um, okay. And uh, like, um, and, and even conducting investigations. Uh, so there's a couple of times where um, I was uh, from home actually doing um, phone calls to uh, individual companies that had been reported to me about uh, not following the proper procedures. Uh, and I was able to resolve both issues um, uh, from the companies that uh, we'd been dealing with. Another one, uh, they had laid um, a concern on our phone. But unfortunately, we, we got it about uh, two days later and the issue had already been resolved by the time we got to it. But we've been trying to be proactive uh, on some issues. Um, and then there's some things that we can't do because we're not under state of uh, local emergency. Like if, if there's price gouging or anything like that, we can't uh, enforce that. Um, but the province can uh, uh, deal with those issues. Okay. Can you impress upon the uh, province that we need to make barbers and hairdressers essential service? Yes, please. Actually, sir, um, uh, yesterday I, I was watching a YouTube video where a guy used his garden shears to cut his hair and he did a great job. <laughs> well, I almost had to use garden shears. Yes, Mr. Ford. Uh, just so everybody's aware, on the uh, Alberta government website, there is an anonymous uh, uh, complaint line where you can file an anonymous complaint for price gouging. Well, I I don't believe we've we've seen that in this community. So I have to leave for one minute. Okay. Um, are there any notices of motion? Uh, well, perhaps we could have a motion to accept the letter 
Well, we should uh, uh, notice a motion to accept the report from North Peace Housing Foundation board meeting for information and another motion to accept the Lieutenant Governor's letter of thanks uh, for, uh, for information as well. Uh, Ms. Downing, is your head up? Go ahead, I unmute yourself. <laughs> I will move that we accept the North Peace Housing Board meeting synopsis for Thank information. You. All in favor? Uh, and a motion for the Lieutenant Governor's letter. Your Worship, I can, do the, I can do the Lieutenant Governor's letter, uh, receive as information. All, all in favor? Uh, are there any notices of motion, Mr. Parker? Uh, there are none, Your Worship. Um, is, is there anyone watching on YouTube or any of the other formats we have out there? I miss you. Uh, can you answer that one? Yeah, uh, we've got two concurrent viewers going right now. We peaked at four. Oh, we're up to three, sorry, three. Uh, okay. One of them was me for a little while. <laughs> I had two windows open. <laughs> okay. And uh, is the press online or are they? Um, like are with they... the GMP, they're watching um, and we'll deal with questions tomorrow or after the meeting. Okay. Okay. So they'll, uh, they'll call me then or, yep. or set up interviews with, with uh, the uh, appropriate individuals. Yes. So is there anything of note here, Mr. Uh, D or Ms. Yu? Did we, uh, did we Twitter anything out? Um, over the next couple of days, we'll have some messaging going out on the ICF. Um, although touched upon with the cancellation of the agreement with CNL, um, we've got the actual ICF to announce that kind of got yeah. wrapped up with the uh, COVID stuff. We've also got to officially announce the NSC ICF as well. Um, the financial relief measures will also be a big item um and we'll just listening to your comments about social distancing um in yeah. lieu of increased enforcement another tool we have is communication so i'll put together some items and we'll start some more regular reminders about social distancing we shared some stuff but we can uh certainly do more on that front yeah good um and uh there are there are no in-camera sessions um, tonight. Uh, so I will take a motion to adjourn the meeting. Mr. I Ford? think Councillor Ford wanted to say something. Yeah, not uh, not a motion to adjourn, but uh, just uh, uh, I'd like to make a shout out to uh, Zoe and Megan from our community, community services department who work out of the Baytex. They put a lot of work into the uh, Easter egg extravaganza that took place on Saturday and a huge success from what I'm hearing. So thank you very much. Yeah. And I suppose uh, a shout out to you is in order. It's your birthday today, but, uh, <laughs> but you decided that uh, your civic duty was more important. And although you had a good excuse to skip this council meeting, you still attended. Hey, I'm uh, doing my part. Okay, excellent. So it, because you had to isolate you, uh, you felt you might as well come to the council meeting. Okay. And on that note, I will accept a motion to adjourn the meeting.
Mr. Ford, are you making that motion? Yes, a motion to adjourn. Okay, all in favor? Great. That's passed, and we can call today a wrap. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everybody. See you guys. Good night, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. See ya. Yeah.